So please, if you can turn your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians, we're in chapter 4, Philippians. If you recall, those of you who were with us the last time we looked at Philippians, we only covered one verse, which was verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord. This is where we looked at those five aspects of the Apostle Paul's affection for the brethren. He loved them. He yearned to see them. They were his joy. They were the crown. They were the most precious possession to him, the greatest achievement to him. And Paul was saying these things in light of what he had just told them, that their citizenships in heaven, they are waiting for the Savior that will transform their bodies. And now Paul goes on to explain after he says to stand firm, a practical way you know, how to do this and what to do and what not to do. As we looked at last time, before I read chapter uh, 4, verse 2 to 3, that let me begin by saying that we do know that life is full of troubles, full of tribulations. And, and the Apostle Paul has already explained certain things through these epistles about false teachers, false brethren, uh, bad examples. There are persecutions. There, there are trials. We even heard last week, and that was happening at the time of Paul by Brother Wes, the philosophy of man. Uh, there are things that continue to hinder our race towards the celestial city. Full of trouble, full of things that are going on in his life. Scripture tells us in, in, in Job 14.1, A man who is born of a woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Full, not just some. And Job also says, For man is born for trouble. As sparks fly upwards. And the Apostle Paul, encouraging the believers in the book of Acts, says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Life is tough. Life is tough, brothers and sisters. If you haven't found life tough for you, tough enough, because it will get tough. There are many broken relationships, many broken marriages. A husband who says to the wife, you talk too much. And the wife says, we've been married for 30 years, we don't talk enough. Which one's right? There are arguments between a father and son, a daughter and mother, a friend and friend, and, and a neighbor and a neighbor. But when we come together as a church, when we come together on the Lord's day, it is supposed to be for us to escape that madness escape the crazy world out there that is continuously trying to hinder us for our journey towards the celestial city. I don't know how many of you went door knocking last week, but we had some crazy ones. Brother Kevin and I, I was explaining to him, he has never done it before, I said, you know, sometimes we get people who don't want to hear the gospel, and we were so blessed that the first person was really, really bad. He really didn't want to hear the things of God. But when we come together as a community of believers, we, we come together because we believe in one Savior, in one gospel, and we have one direction towards the celestial city, and we are supposed to hold his arms and arms and run together for the gospel. A church is not supposed to be a place of war and arguments, 
but a, a place of peace where we remind one another that this is not our home. That we have a heavenly home waiting for us where we will be in perfect unity, in perfect fellowship and with our perfect bodies to our perfect Savior. But guess what? I'm going to read these two verses for you. There are issues in the church. There are issues within the local church we ought not to have. Why do we do this to ourselves? I mean, don't we have enough problems outside? But we tend to have issues even within the body of Christ. Why? Because we are messy people. We're still messy people. We are redeemed people, but we are still messy people. The Apostle Paul has told the church already about himself. He says in chapter 3 verse 12, Not that I have already obtained it or have become perfect. But what does he do? He presses on. He moves forward. There are all sorts of conflict that can take place within the church. Little children are arguing, the parents get involved, then the father gets involved, and then they say maybe it's an elder issue. Someone needs to be kicked out of the church. You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought that every Christian just got along. When I first became a Christian, I could not believe that Christians would not get along. I said, this is not right. How can Christians not get along? Don't they have the same spirit as me because I was so holy? And I said, well, how is it that they're still arguing? What's going on? Something is wrong here. You know, you've heard me say this before, you know, when I found out there was a bookstore called Kurong, and I never thought that anything in Kurong could be wrong. I was really wrong. There's a lot of wrong stuff in Kurong that is not biblical. And we come here to church to put a fuel in our bones to fire each other up so that we can continue to fight this spiritual battle, this fleshly desires, this worldly temptation. But if Satan cannot get us maybe from our flesh, from outside, perhaps from the world, maybe, maybe he can get us from within. Because what better way to destroy a church than to destroy it from within? You know, you've heard of the Trojan horse, right? From within. And this is what we're going to see this morning with these two ladies. Two ladies that Paul, by the Spirit of God, names them. And we're going to look at them. And we're going to see how we can actually learn from this. So I've titled the message this morning, The Peacemaking Christian. And we've got two points that I want to look at. One, the people that are called for peace. That's these two women. And two, the helpers, the helpers called to bring peace. We want to be peacemakers, brothers and sisters. We want peace. Do we not? Do I hear an amen? We want peace, right? We don't want troubles. So let's read together from verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now he begins, I urge you, Eodia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. 
indeed a true companion. Now he, we will talk about this in a minute. He speaks to someone else and says, I ask you to help these women who have shared in my struggle in a cause of this gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. Now some may say here, this sounds contradictory to what Paul has just been sharing. Hasn't he been telling them that he loves them? He yearns for them. They are his joy. They are his crown. And here, now, what's going on? Because Paul here takes it a step further and he points these two people out from the church. And some may say Paul's not being loving. That's not loving from Paul. How can this be loving? Is Paul now naming these women to shame them? Is he naming them so that they can be embarrassed in front of everybody? Well, no. He's not doing that. Paul singles his women out. Number one, when we read this, we can see number one, Paul knew this. So he had to find out, find out somehow. And the church would have known this, and the women would have known that they were the trouble. So it's not, it's not about Paul being unloving. Paul has actually been very, very loving. I'll explain it to you. We have this foolishness in our mind that we think if we confront a brother or a sister in Christ about a sin issue, because let's face it, they are not in harmony. Not being in harmony, it is a sin issue. That does not bring you in harmony. And many people think, well, if you confront a sister in Christ about their sin, they think you're not being loving. Now, this is a sin issue, but I want to give an example. Something that took place many years ago with myself. This has actually happened a couple of times because that's what I do. A person tried to commit suicide. And God had mercy on this person, an unbeliever. And so I went to visit this person. And I said, do you know why you're still alive? I said, God had mercy on you. And do you know why you're still alive? Why God had mercy on you? So you can hear this message. Because if you were closed your eyes, you would have woken up in judgment. And God would have pressed upon you his fiery judgment upon you for eternity. So I went on to share the gospel with this person. And I get a phone call to say you're the most unloving Christian I've ever met. And I said, why? And this person said, because you told me that if I died, I was going to hell. And I said, listen, let me explain something to you. This person, at that time, my son was like two years old, and this person happened to love my son dearly. And I said, let me explain to you, and then you tell me if I was unloving or I was loving. I said, my son, do you love my son? This person said, yes. I said, okay. He's in the middle of the road and he's playing with his toys. And he's playing with his toys. He's none the wiser that there is a truck coming. And he does not care. He's just got his toys and he wants to play with his toys. And will you, out of love for my child, sit there and say, that's okay, just play with your toys? Or will you do everything in your power to move him out of the way? I will, that's just silly. Of course I will move him out of the way. And I said, why? That's not loving. Leave my son alone. Leave him alone. He wants to stay in the middle of the road. She said, that doesn't make sense. You see, I said, no, it does make sense. I said, right now you're not seeing the issue of God's wrath 
being coming your way, just like my son couldn't see the truck. I said, now tell me, would you be loving my son if you removed him or hate him? She said, loving him. I said, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And this is what we see the Apostle Paul trying to do with two women that he loves. It would be, it would be foolish that the Apostle Paul says, I love you, Joe, and I love you, Wes, but you know what? Keep going. Just fight. It's okay. It will be foolish. So the Apostle Paul is loving them because he's addressing them because he loves them. And what we will notice here, brothers and sisters, and I want you to be aware of this, when we look at these two women, we automatically think really weak young Christians. Because I know I did for years. I said, they must be really weak young Christians. But they're not. And I'm going to show you that they are not. Let me read you verse 1, uh, verse 3 with you. Here's what Paul says, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. Here's some things that we can learn about these believers. Number one, he says, to be in harmony in the Lord. They have to be Christians. You can, Paul is not calling unbelievers to be in harmony in the Lord. He will call them to repentance in the Lord, not in being in harmony. So they are actually born of God. Two, we know that they are actually Christians because it says their names are written in the book of life, in which we will cover that in a little bit more detail. But I want you to think about that. Think about this for a minute, okay? Because sometimes we don't want to be confronting, and we, we, we hate it. I don't know about you. I hate confronting people. But imagine this. Imagine that this letter's been written to Saving Grace Bible Church, and it's been read, and everyone's saying amen, and Brother Wes is reading it to us. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah, we need to fight the good fight. Yeah, we hate false teachers. Yeah, we hate false brethren. That's us. And then it says... Now, Joe, now, Ralph, live in harmony. Could you imagine that? I mean, I just thought about that, you know. that Sometimes we need to be called out if there's something that's going on. So the Apostle Paul does that. It doesn't mean he's unloving. He just wants unity. There is something going on. Three, there are members of this church. They, they, they're actually in together for the gospel with the Apostle Paul. They were hard workers. And some say that they actually knew Paul from the very beginning. Some say that these two ladies were there with Paul from the very beginning, the book of Acts, when he actually planted this church. And the first uh, Lydia was, was the first convert, and these ladies were there with Paul. Because it doesn't really tell us how they were in the gospel with Paul. Could have been by giving, by prayer, we don't know. But they were active members of this church. You see, these women, they were not the women. All right, but this is before we talk about the problem, okay? So I want to bless you before I give you a bit of a challenge. They were not women who come in last, leave first, and complain most. They were the women who came in first left last, and served most. We want to get that right. They had a new nature. They were born of God. They loved God. They just had an issue with one another. They just had a problem with one another. Interesting enough, I was doing a bit of research 
I don't know, once again, I don't know what to do with this. I just found it funny, to be honest, that Yodia's name means success and Sintike means happy. So what you do with that, it's up to you. Because they are not successfully being happy here. Something is wrong. I just, I just wanted to just share that with you. So here's Paul. He says, I urge you, Yodia, and I urge you, Sintike. The problem is, live in harmony. They are active in the things of God. They are laboring hard. They are doing all the things, but they are bringing this disunity within the church. And let me share with you something. And I was thinking about this. How easy it is for us to even overlook if there are two sisters, of course, two brothers as well, who perhaps are not seeing eye to eye in something, and we can easily overlook that problem. But that problem can easily become the problem of the whole church. This is why this is addressed to the whole church. It's a public matter now. And Paul says, I urge. And the word urge speaks of begging. I am begging you. I am pleading you with the affections of Jesus Christ. I implore you. And it talks about to get beside one another. Get next to one another. I am begging you. And the word there, urge, is in the present active, which means, I am begging you, which means continuously do this as a lifestyle. It's not a one-time deal. You are to continuously work this out, not bring discomfort, not be in disunity. Paul loves the church so much that he says, listen, you've got false teachers, you've got false brethren, you've got, you've got bad examples but you also got one another who are arguing here that can bring the same devastation within the body of Christ. Should we be content with this? No, we shouldn't. As an application for us, we shouldn't be happy if there are two sisters who are arguing over the colors of the wall, over the chairs. I urge you, Yodia, and I urge you, Sintike, he's making a statement. He's not choosing favorite. He's not being, you know, biased. He says, no, no, no. If you can't work it out, you work it out. And if she doesn't, you work it out. I don't care who works it out. Just work it out. I urge both of you to work this out. He's making this personal. It doesn't matter who started it. Those of you who have kids, you've heard this before, yeah? They're having a fight. And you come and you try to break it up and one of them's got a blood nose. And you say to the one who doesn't have a blood nose, what happened? Well, he started it. Well, so, so does that give you the license to hit him? And this is what's happening with these two ladies. That's why they ended up calling someone else to help him. Maybe these two ladies just, they just, you started it. No. Fix the problem or the problem will get greater. No one comes forth then what happens? The sky is the limit. Pride kicks in. Arrogant becomes your ground. Grudge penetrates you. Unforgiveness becomes your friend. An eruption takes place in the body of Christ. Just because two women could not get along. Proverbs says this. I love this. And I'm going to just explain it to you a bit. 
17.14, it says, The beginning of strife is like letting out water. That's the beginning of strife. But then he says, So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Alex is not here today. But I don't know if you have had a leak before. Like a little leak, and you let it go, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. This is what this proverb is saying. Listen, quarrels, they're like a little leak of water. Stop them, plug them, plug them up. Use whatever metaphor you want to do before it breaks out into a flood. And if that flood of water comes, it's going to affect everyone else. Right? So deal with it ASAP. How can this affect everyone else? Well, think about it. If there are two women, then, okay, they're arguing. She's sitting over there now, and she's sitting over there. And by the way, sometimes, you know, when there are people arguing, maybe the church, you may not know, maybe the church can see it, because that's what's happening here. And maybe Epaphroditus, who was sent to Paul, and Paul was having a chat with him and said, Hey, how's the church going? Great! We're on fire for the Lord Jesus! And how are the, you know, the two ladies going over there? Oh, look, you know, they're on fire. You know, they are working hard for the gospel. But they've got this little tiff happening. You know, all right, let me, let me just address this. Let me just address this. And then what happens if you don't address it? Well, people start to take sides. And all of a sudden you've got two sisters and then you've got another two sisters with this sister and another two sisters with this sisters and they're both saying a completely different thing. And then there's disharmony within the body of Christ. And Paul says, live in harmony. What does that mean? Paul has used this word already several times in this gospel, in his letter, forgive me. It literally means to be of the same mind. To have the same attitude, to have the same goal, to be in agreement together. He said that in chapter 2, if you recall, verse 2, make my joy complete, be of the same mind. In chapter 1, verse 27, only conduct yourselves maintaining uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come to you and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is a huge thing for the Apostle Paul. And maybe when the Apostle Paul was speaking beforehand about saying don't do things grudgingly serve others above yourselves maybe had these two women in mind so the question is what's the quarrel what were they fighting about the answer is simple the apostle paul actually doesn't tell us but we know there's a problem we know the church knows there's a problem we definitely know that this guy that we're going to talk about knows there is a problem and the rest of the church and we know that it's not a light thing when there is a problem within the body of Christ between two people. So what can we learn if there is no harmony between two people? One, there has to be tension in loving one another. How can you say, I love you, and yet not have harmony with that person? There will be tension in encouraging one another. 
Why? Because you're not in harmony with that person. There will be tension in standing firm for the gospel and running the race together because you're why? You're not in harmony. You can't be a soldier next to me and I don't know if you've got my back or you're going to stab me in the back. That's tension. There is tension here. And Paul is saying, we need to stop. How can he start? I don't know. My sister, she looked at me funny in the morning. She took my seat that I usually sit on. She brought pies instead of pasties. I don't know, you, you make it up as you go. It could be that they feel neglected. How can it start? You invited that sister to your house, but you didn't invite me. And you've got this own little group, and I'm always left out. And then you go to Sintica, and she says, but you've got your own little group, and you're leaving me out. And before you know it, people, as I said, they will start to take sides. Forgiveness quickly turns into bitterness. The gospel truth turns into gossip. And the strength of the church turns into weakness throughout the whole church. And there is no peace. And splits can take place. There have been church splits over things like this. Instead of bearing that light of the gospel truth in harmony, gloom and doom are following these two ladies in that area. And whoever touches them catches this disease. They are consumed by it. Why? Maybe a lack of grace towards one another. A lack of serving one another. A lack of loving one another. A lack of faith. A lack of joy. Lack of the love of the truth. We're not told to wait, are we? We're not told to think about it. Think about it one week and one month and one year. Paul says you are to do this and do it now and fix it ASAP. Do it until it's fixed. Where do we start? Well, Paul tells us where it begins. To live in harmony in the Lord. Harmony begins in the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember what He has done. His forgiveness, His love, His compassion, His desire for the church to be one in the Lord. Paul wasn't asking them to be united because of likes and superficial status and hobbies. Sure, we have freedom in these areas. It's okay to have hobbies. It's okay to, to play tennis. It's okay to have all this stuff. But that's not the unity that Paul calls them to have. The unity is in the Lord. I was saying to a brother this week, we were having a get-together, and I said, you know, it's funny. Sometimes we, over the years, I've learned where I've gone to people's homes and, and they, 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 they would talk about all sorts of stuff and Jesus was not mentioned. And the next day they go, wow, that was a great fellowship. And, and I learned and the more I grew, the more I studied the Scripture, I said, well, according to Scripture, that's not really, that's not really fellowship. It's friendship. It's getting together. It's okay to do. You know, in the World Cup, sometimes we're Sam and I ring each other up and, and swap scores and at 3 o'clock in the morning we want to watch soccer. That's okay, but that's not fellowship. I mean, one are saying, Jesus, let my team win. And he's saying, Jesus, let my team win. 
And then we'll say, that's fellowship. Well, no, we're not. We're just getting together just for the sake of getting together to watch a soccer game. But that in and of itself is not fellowship. And that cannot bring unity. And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the centerpiece of harmony, it is the Lord himself. The Lord is the glue to the issue. The Lord is the healer to the wound. The Lord is the plaster in a cracked relationship. That's where it begins. The Lord is the conductor of the symphony of these two hearts who are seemingly beating at a different drum. They're in a different key. They go into different directions in their own minds. And Christ and Christ alone can tune this, spiritually speaking, so they can play the same tune and be in harmony. Harmony, brothers and sisters, is always found in the Lord and in the Lord alone. They had all the good things they were doing, as I mentioned, but does that remind you of a verse in the Scriptures where Jesus himself actually commends people for doing good deeds and good things in Revelation chapter 2? But then he says what? I have this against you, that you've left your first love. You say, but don't they love Jesus? Well, if you love Jesus and you want to grow in Jesus, then you must be, you must work out your issues with your sister or your brother. That's our first point. The second point is the helpers called to bring peace. So now so you got the you got you got Paul telling them that they need to be at peace, but now he calls on to someone else. Now look with me for a minute. It says in verse three, indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose name is in the book of life. So Paul now reaches out to the church. He reaches out. This is a serious matter. They are struggling with me in the gospel with Clement, which we don't know much about Clement and the rest of the people. They are fellow workers. Their name is written in the book of life. They are with me. They are sharing the gospel alongside of me. Again, perhaps they're giving, they're offering, they're praying. Maybe they were there at the beginning with Paul, but he says they need help. So I'm calling out to you. Help these women. And the word help there, it's an imperative. It's an actual command that Paul gives to this person, and it means to seize, to, to, to receive and to bring together. And the, the word here for true companion, the King James says true yoke fella. The word in Greek, I don't know how to pronounce it. I asked my wife, but I'll try it. Syzygous, that's the word for true yoke fellow or true companion. The name actually represents something. And so people have had indifference whether they're calling this person whose name is Syzygous or his name in and of itself represents this, one who was united, one who was a true partner, and one who was yoked together. So Paul is calling to this Sisychus, whatever the case may be, but it sounds that it is both and. I mean, either way, it is a person who happens to have these qualities, or else Paul wouldn't have called him. And he's saying to him, because in fact, this word is used for someone who will share the same burden. 
having the same yoke upon their shoulders and carrying them. What a beautiful picture. Paul is saying, listen, get these women. Carry their burdens upon your own shoulders. Now this guy might have been an elder. We don't know. He might have been, but he's definitely had some weight in the church. Someone that they could trust. Someone that they knew could actually help these two women who are now against one another in whatever area. Carry their burdens. Help them. Help these women. Galatians says to us, brethren, this is for us. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. They are called by Paul. This man is called by Paul to help these women. But I want to share something with you. We are all called to help one another. But as Brother Wes has been teaching for years, everyone does have different gifts, right? Some may counsel you in certain areas, but they may not be able to help you in other areas. You may need someone else to help you. And Paul specifically, what do I say? Because Paul specifically points out at this person, not anyone else, just points out this one guy. What does that mean for us? Let, let me tell you, it doesn't have to be a sin issue. There are certain things in the scriptures that doesn't tell us. Where should I buy a home? What color should I paint the walls? Or whatever it may be. But I'll give you an example. I didn't share this with my son. But when my son was growing up, he was going to school. He wanted to become a doctor. And he said to me one day, Dad, I want to be a doctor. He said, and I said, all right, you know how much, how much time there is in becoming a doctor? How much work? How much study? I, I, I was probably being selfish. I thought, man, this is going to cost me a fortune, right? I'm thinking 10, 15 years of this, uh, yeah, sell the house, get a donkey, and live in a farm. Part of me. But my son said to me, Dad, if I become a doctor, I'm not sure how my life is going to pan out as a Christian. And I say, what do you mean? Let's sit down and talk about it. Well, he goes, Dad, I don't know if I'm going to be able to serve the way I serve a church. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to preach the gospel whilst I'm a surgeon. I, I don't know, Dad. I, I see my life in, in, in a completely different way now. I said, that's awesome. I said to him, now, pay attention. I don't mean this is, is written on stone. I said to my son, okay, great. Praise God for you, son. I would rather than you flip burgers at McDonald's than be a doctor. That Christ will be exalted the most in your life. It's not literally, okay? It was me saying to my son, if Christ will be more exalted in you becoming something else, then you have my blessing, please become something else. If you cannot use your gifts and you cannot serve in a church and magnify Christ the most by being a doctor, then don't be a doctor. We need doctors, okay? Not, I'm not saying this to you. I'm just giving an example. Sometimes when we ask people to give us advice, some people may not give you the right advice. And that's why Paul chooses this one particular fellow to help these two women, because obviously whoever was there was not helping them. 
I'm just giving that as a way of application for us. And Paul says these women, they're in trouble, help them. But what's beautiful about this, beloveds, make no mistakes. They're Christians. Their names are written in the book of life. I love that. They're written in the book of life. Not in a general sense, but in an eternal sense. They are struggling. They're, they're, they're in trouble. There is sin issues. But their name is written in the book of life. So Paul says to these women, to this man, help these women. Now some people might say, how are their names written in the book of life? Is it because they were doing gospel this and, and they were doing this and they were doing that? No, the Apostle Paul's already mentioned this in chapter 1 verse 6. He says, I'm confident of this very thing that he, that is Christ, who began the good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. But I want to give you just a couple of verses on the book of life. There are, there are a few of them, I think there are about five or so in the Revelation alone, but I want to read something to you because I want to draw an application out of this even for the unbelievers as we come to a close. In Revelation 13, 8, it says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written in the book of life. So these are unbelievers. From the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. These are the believers whose name are in the book of life of the Lamb. Beloved, Iodia and Syntyche and Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, they labored hard for the gospel, but their name were written in the book of life not because they were doing gospel ministry. It was simply because God wrote their name in the book of life. This was God's eternal elective love for these women. And so it is for you who are born of God. And that means all those who are predestined by God before the foundation of the world, their names, your names, are written in the book of life. No matter what struggle you will go through in this life. Their names written in the book of life from eternity. Their names are in heaven. They are secured. Their citizenship's in heaven. Their eternal postcode has their name written on it. It is protected and safeguarded by Jesus Christ himself. And no one can ever erase their names from the book of life. Imagine this. Imagine that you are Iodia this morning or Syntyche. Imagine this being read to you right now. Does that not humble you? That God is saying, listen, your name is written in the book of life. You will come home to me one day. You will be with me in the eternal abode. Doesn't it? encourage you to work out your issues or does it discourage you because it encourages me it humbles me to say my name is written in the book of life i want to work this out jesus when he sent out people to to cast out demons 
You know what Jesus says? Don't rejoice over that. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That's why we want to rejoice. So, as a conclusion, as we come to an end, what do we do with this this morning? Brothers and sisters, Christian unity is crucial and it is biblical and we have no options according to Scripture. It's not optional. Paul has been alluding this throughout this letter. It is so crucial that he saw it, the need to name these two women in the Word of God. Because why? Because as much as the false preacher, the false teacher, the false convert, the bad example can bring disunity in the church, so can two beloved sisters who do not get along with one another can bring havoc in a church. Well, what do we do with this? Number one, we obey it. We obey it. It's in the Word of God. We obey. We work out our differences. We are commanded to work this out. We are commanded to work out our differences and don't stop until it's resolved. Don't quit. And if it happens again, fix it again. How often, Lord? Five times? Six times? Seven times? Seventy times seven. Fix it up. Be in unity. If you cannot get along with your brother and sister in Christ, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God in the Lord. Second thing I want to bring to your attention is sometimes these things happen and they take place between two sisters because they're not teachable. They become unteachable. A brother comes next to you and says to you, what's happening? How can I help you? Or another sister, how can I help you? Well, I didn't do anything. Then you go to the other one and says, I didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, there is no teaching heart anymore. Brethren, we have to ask this question to ourselves. Am I willing to help? Am I willing to get help? Am I willing to help others? Am I willing to be this true companion to help others if I see them in trouble? Not to gossip, not to talk about who's right and who's wrong, but to bring harmony, to bring unity within the body of Christ. We are supposed to cheer each other on that we may conquer the war and race this race well, run this race to the kingdom of God. And the question we want to ask this morning, am I a problem solver or am I a problem maker? Am I a peacemaker or am I a troublemaker? So what do we do? Pray to the Lord, brothers and sisters, to reveal your own heart attitude. Pray to Christ to reveal your issues. And if someone has done something, approach them with the humility of Christ who laid down his life for you. And if she or she or she or she or the other one or the other one doesn't want to hear, then take someone else with you so that you can settle the matter. 
And if that doesn't work, of course, that you go to your leaders, that they may help you. But work it out. Work it out. With the Spirit of God. Work it out. So that we can live in harmony. But let me speak in a, for a second. In a general sense, to those of you who are not Christians, who maybe think you're a Christian, but you're not a Christian, or you're still confused about being a Christian, perhaps you are a Christian and you're not a Christian. If your name is only written on your license, your name is only written on your birth certificate and eventually will be written on your death certificate, you've got bigger issues than trying to figure out something. Your issue right now is a bigger problem because you have no peace, no harmony with God. You need to get yourself right with God first. Your name, how do you know if your name is written in the book of life? How do you know? Is it because you made a profession of faith? Is it because you, com- you confessed something, you did a prayer years ago? Because you were gathering as a church? How do you know that your name is written in the book of life? We'll start to examine. Should the thief continue to steal? Should the sex offender still offend? Should the immoral person still live immorally? Should the hated person continue to hate? If your heart has not been changed towards godliness and a desire to change, because I don't believe these women didn't love God. No, they had issues. They had problems. And they weren't working it out. But if your heart is not moving towards godliness and hating the sin that you once loved, then the Christ that saved you is a counterfeit. Because that Christ that saved you supposedly is not powerful enough to change you. Because the Christ that changes a person, saves a person, changes the person. He changes them from inside out. Yes, we have problems, brothers and sisters. But there is a change that takes place. So, please turn with me to the last book of the Bible. You can't go wrong. Revelation chapter 20. And I'll bring this to an end. Revelation chapter 20. And we read from verse 12. The judgment of God. And we're going to see something here. Then I saw the great white throne and him, that is Jesus who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up that which was in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades was thrown in a lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. We've got to understand something. There are books and there is a book. The books that are open are basically judging you on every deed as an unbeliever that you have done and God will judge you in accordance to hellfire. But the other book, 
the other book is the book of life. You don't want to be in the books. You don't want your name to be written over and over again in the books. You want your name to be written in the book of life. How do I get that, Ralph? Repent. Turn to Christ Jesus and beg him to save your soul. Change your heart. God, save me. I am a sinner. I am the chief of sinners. And I need Christ to save me. I need Jesus to to change me. There is no change in my life. How do we know this? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If there is no change in your life, then there is no Christ in your heart. If there's no desire for you to do the things of God on what God's given planet, do we say that we're Christians? If we don't have an affection to obey the Lord. We must examine ourselves. Thus we give glory to God the Father through the Spirit because of Jesus Christ. I want to just read you two verses and then I'll close in prayer. Psalm 133 says this, brethren. Behold, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. What a wonderful verse. But I'm going to end it with the very words of our Lord when he walked planet earth. He said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Amen. Father, we come before you, Lord. Your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing through our soul and our marrows, even examining the thoughts and intention of our hearts. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are inspired by your spirit to pen down these very words and you use two women who will be forever remembered, Lord, whether for good or bad. But on our part, it is for good that we may learn, Father, to be in harmony with one another, to to be united. Our names are written in the book of life. We may strive together for the gospel. But Father, unless we are in harmony of the same mind, we can tear one another apart. Please, Father, we pray that this truth will resonate in the heart of your people that we will continue to encourage one another and be united in the Lord. Amen.